welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. Hi, this is Jed Hall, and for those who don't know me, I'm an academic development consultant at the University of Leeds, and you're joining us in Season 5 of our Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where we're diving into the effects of research impact on research culture and focusing in on different topics to ensure those effects are positive. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Professor Mark Birkin and Dr Emily Ennis, Mark is the director of Leeds Institute for Data Analytics, or LEADER, uh, and the Consumer Data Research Centre, or CDRC. And Emily is CDRC's Research and Impact Manager. The reason for asking Emily and Mark to join us today is because of the success of LEADER and CDRC in two sets of awards that the University of Leeds ran in the summer of 2022. One set of awards focused on improving our research culture, and leader nominations were winners in two of the five categories. The other awards focused on research impact. In this set of awards, leader and CDRC won three of the five categories and were runner-up in the fourth. So I'm really looking forward to hearing about how those successes were delivered. But before we dive into our discussions, our listeners always like to get to know our interviewees a little bit more. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your obsessions or interests outside of outside of work and who or what got you into that so Emily I'll come to you first. Oh thanks Jed um had a bit of a, a puzzle on this one trying to think about how best to seem interesting um <laughs> as, beyond my my work persona um but I guess the one thing that I keep coming back to in terms of um something that is preoccupied my mind for I guess the longest period of time that hasn't just been you know study or or work has actually been um learning French um so I started learning French as a, as a kid about five or six when I started learning uh went all the way through to a level and then just kind of chickened out when I came to university and didn't actually do it as a kind of joint honors degree so just before the start of the pandemic I started going back to French classes um and I'm now kind of working I guess towards fluency um which is quite quite nice and quite exotic and um when I went to Paris earlier this year I did manage to actually have people speak French back to me when I said when I use my own French so um yeah in terms of kind of what got me into it it's just been it's just been a fascination of mine that anyone can speak you know more than one language um and you know I, I my my degrees and my PhD were in English literature and I always felt like um you know, ha having an understanding of another language was actually re really beneficial for understanding the mechanics of the language that I already spoke and already used. Um, so it did prove to be quite, quite useful. But yeah, that that's, I guess, a thing that, you know, I actually dedicate the most time to beyond work is is kind of reading French, watching French films, having French classes, things like that. So yeah, that I think I think that makes me sound interesting. It, may, it makes you sound interesting and really clever, especially in comparison <laughs> to my obsession with pies that I talked about when I was interviewed. So, yeah, Mark, do you, could you you give us your your obsession outside of work? Yeah, well, I I, I, um, I never thought about the challenge of trying to make myself sound interesting. Um, 
I did the thing that I immediately thought about. So, so I spent uh, several years, at least six, as the uh, county county captain of the Yorkshire chess team. And uh, my one of my main my main claim to fame in that capacity is that for the uh, uh, for the first time ever, we won three successive uh, national titles. So I was quite uh, quite pleased with that. And I think actually in the context of this conversation, I mean, I, you know, chess is it's quite interesting. It's obviously a very individual uh, kind of sport or pastime. You know, it requires a high level of dedication, you know, and expertise and training and all of that. But actually it's quite interesting when the reason why that team was successful, I think, is because they had a real spirit, mm. um, you know, that, they wanted to, yeah, they wanted to win and everybody played for each other. You know, there's a slight danger that people are worried about, you know, their own kind of individual record that they've you know, never lost or whatever. And um, I'm sorry, but I can't resist saying um, we, we've, um, we understand your, your obsession with pies. And I think I get a bit of a Northwest uh, um, uh, trend there, but Lancashire and Yorkshire were the big rivals. So we always used to, because it's, it starts off regional. So, uh, Yorkshire and Lancashire always had to get past one another before they could then start worrying about uh, uh, dealing with the Southern Softies. And um, I, I, I would never got beaten by Lancashire in either an individual or a uh, uh, or a team match. And I'm uh, uh, very, very pleased with that. I think I had the, uh, the best record going against Lancashire. So you can cut that one out, but I, I couldn't resist uh, pulling your leg while we're here. No, that's absolutely fine. I'm a, I'm a diehard Lancastrian. So, you know, there, you have to let, uh, let Yorkshiremen think they're the best <laughs> anyway move, moving on and thank you for that you, you've actually made me feel really um a bit dim <laughs> in comparison so i might have to try and find some more uh some more um intellectual obsessions to engage with in the future so um now we're moving into the kind of interview proper i wonder i wonder if mark you can give us a sense of what leader and CDRC are and how they interact. Uh, and then for both of you, really, how your roles within them um, kind of flesh out. So, Mark, can you give us the give us that overview first? Yeah, so um, uh, CDRC, the Consumer Data Research Centre, we, we kind of opened our doors in 2014. So that means that we started the thinking about a year before that. It was part of the um, Economic and Social Research Council. They, they had a big data program at the time. Um, so for listeners who've not encountered big data, I guess many will have, but you, you know, it, it's the idea that um, you know, society, the world around us is starting to generate enormous volumes of data about everything. You know, think about any, anything from medical devices to uh, satellite imagery, to you know, customer loyalty cards to smart energy meters. Um, you know, we all generate you know kind of data through our activities. I mean, social media is is another one um, all the time. And you know that kind of information is really interesting to social scientists. Uh, you know, and in a lot of ways, it's far more interesting and far more powerful than you know, things like census data or government surveys that academics typically base their research around. Um, but you know, one of the big issues is, so there's there's lots of this stuff, it's really interesting, but how do I as an academic get access to that kind of information? Because I can't just go and knock on the door of my local Tesco and ask if they'd like to share all their club card because we think you know the amount of meat people are consuming is really important for their health or you know this, these, these kinds of questions. So the Consumer Data Research Centre was established 
to kind of try and create a bridge between the academic world and this externally facing combination of commercial and you know government organizations and, and and media businesses and all this all this kind of thing you know with the idea of you, you, you know so what what did we need to do to actually persuade these people to find a way of working more closely together around these really interesting challenges and questions so cdrc was established in 2014 to to, to do that um yeah and I, and I think it's been a real you know a real success story you know, thanks in part to you know, just the, the, the quality of the people that we have, the teams that we've been able to build, both in the academic, you know, kind of part of that, and in on and on the management side. Um, so, you know, we're still going strong. Eight years later, you know, we're making a lot of progress, but there's still you know so much more to do because you, you know there's masses of interesting work that we could be doing by engaging with more social scientists and by working. You know more effectively and collaboratively with other organisations, but you know it, it's a big challenge. We made lots of progress. It's very very exciting. Um, you know, just briefly on the on the leader side of things, then. So the way that leader came about, I mean, coincidentally, within about four weeks of the CDRC being commissioned and the project being approved by ESRC, this university was also awarded a, a very large project in medical bioinformatics. You know, these were both you know, six, seven million pound projects, very, very big by um, you know, the standards of yeah, the, the, the run of the mill kind of research projects. And um, I actually bumped into Alex Markham, Professor Sir Alex Markham, who was the, um, the leader of the MRC Bioinformatics Centre. We met each other for the first time and it was at the, it was at the uh, celebration party for the submission of the 2014 Research Excellence Framework, the ref return from the... Um, uh, from the university and um, we got on very well we both knew what was happening in our areas and we we kind of just thought it would be a really good idea to try and bring these two things together you know, and both of them fairly wide ranging actually in terms of touching computer science and mathematics and informatics as well as medicine and business and the environment and all these kind of questions you know, can we do something that would really you know combine our efforts and, and push some some capability and interest right through the university in a tremendously important strategic area because Alan Langland actually by coincidence had also um, chaired a couple of national panels on uh, secondary data use and those kind of questions so it was just quite a nice alignment really that, that led to the whole um, uh, uh, development and, and taking leader forward. That's great. It's lovely to see research assessment having a positive uh, <laughs> impact. Uh, you know, research assessment or research excellence framework in the UK that Mark mentioned there. So, Emily, I'll come to you. What's uh, tell us about your role in in CDRC and uh, and how will you get up to? Yeah. So, um, as Mark said, CDRC has been around uh, since twenty fourteen. I'm a much newer addition um, to the to the centre. So. Um, by my understanding, the kind of first phase of CDRC involved kind of heavy investment of resource into establishing the data store that we have. So that is kind of making those data that, that Mark was talking about available to researchers for, for the first time ever, really, those those uh, consumer data. Um, so that was kind of a real heavy investment at the, at the start of the CDRC. Um, but then we kind of moved into phase two and that kind of started just before I joined in November 2020, where we really started to kind of, I guess, reflect on the impact that we, that we knew CDRC was already having and that it was developing and also to provide kind of 
additional resource to CGRC researchers um, through kind of my support. So as with LEADER, CGRC is a group of kind of interdisciplinary academics. They are um, typically kind of like parented or housed in, in um, you know, the faculties of medicine, um, faculty of environment and the Leeds Business School. Um, so, you know, their day jobs, you know, their four out of five days might be within a school or faculty and then kind of however many days attached to, to CDRC. So, you know, it was really important, I think, from my understanding of why my role was created to make sure that someone was kind of keeping tabs on the research that was kind of specific to CDRC and the impact that was specific to CDRC, but also making sure that there was this um, resource within CDRC as a kind of place where interdisciplinary research uh, interdisciplinary research was happening um, so that that could kind of be, I guess, not, I don't want to say measured because I think that that's kind of too refy, but, um, you know, that there was so, there was a resource within the CDRC to help those academics um, realise their their impact and so I guess in terms of what my day-to-day job looks like so obviously from an impact perspective you know I collect evidence of impact I kind of pursue lines of impact I I kind of make suggestions about how research could be impactful but also from a kind of research management perspective my job looks like kind of helping with funding bids maybe identifying things like follow-on funding or impact acceleration funding that could be applied for. Um, I do um, sometimes take kind of a leading role in some research projects. So um, a research project that we uh, kind of worked collaboratively on with Leeds City Council recently, which was one of the award winners at the uh, Engage for Impact Awards that you talked about, Jed. Um, That was kind of, so that was on um, looking at the carbon footprint of food that Leeds City Council um, procured so part of my kind of role and that was actually seeing the opportunity for researchers in CDRC to work with Leeds City Council putting them in touch with each other and then actually kind of I guess managing that that research project and also line managing the data scientist that was on that project so that's a kind of I guess more research leader research management kind of perspective and I also help with things like government consultations, scoping meetings, putting people in touch with each other and, and project management. So it's not just about the impact. It's also about that kind of additional, again, resource and infrastructure for, for researchers in the CDRC. Thanks. That's brilliant. I mean, it's lovely to to hear um, you being there to, to really help and actually drive some things because I, I do sometimes wonder whether there's just too much advice uh, and not enough direct help offered to offered to academics so it's great to to see you in that in that space and um, so obviously um impact and research culture must be high priority for for leader and cdrc judging by the number of nominations and actually the success uh, of those nominations in in the two awards in the summer so so what uh, just kind of picking in on that, what elements of research culture have emerged as priorities for you to work on um, within LEADER and CDRC? And, and and I suppose, how do you decide on those collectively with all the people involved? Emily, I'll come to you on that one first. I suspected you might come to me first because um, I had a thinking face on. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting, actually, how... Um, I think CDRC 
works as a, as a group of individuals. Um, so I think that both the researchers and the operational team within CDRC tend to be fairly autonomous. Um, so where there have been opportunities to drive forward different elements of, of research culture, um, you know, that's kind of been taken forward by individuals. So our senior uh, ops coordinator, uh, Kylie Norman, she she leads quite strongly on, on our EDI uh, kind of strand of research culture, I guess, um, looking quite a lot at positive action recruitment um, and things like decolonizing data science as well. So mm. that has kind of appeared as a as a strand of our research culture that has been led by one individual. Um, I think there's also a, a kind of new and emerging strand to our research culture, which is about the ability to respond in an agile way to actual kind of really pressing societal concerns. So I joined this role in November 2020. Um, and at that point, we had quite a lot of um, initiatives around COVID-19, mobilising data rapidly in order to kind of solve problems, working with local authorities to help them get the answers from data that they, they wouldn't necessarily have the resource to get answers from. So, uh, yeah, another kind of strand of our, our research culture has been focusing on, you know, what can we solve and, and quickly? And so that has kind of meant that, I guess, in terms of how we work as a as an organisation, as, as a, as a centre, it means developing a research culture where we're able to work in quite agile ways and quite responsive ways. And I think one of the ways we're able to do that is um, the CDLC has a team of research data scientists, um, as well as access to some data scientists on the leader data scientist development programme. So these are so on the on the data scientist development program, these are um, kind of recent graduates or career changers who are doing two six month projects focused on solving real world problems, usually with with external partners. And then our research data scientist team are kind of available to work across different projects and um, bring kind of real technical expertise to the research that we do. Having access to these kind of two I guess, branches of, of of data scientists is what allows us to go, OK, we really need to respond to this really quickly. Let's put the data scientist on it for six months or let's put our research data scientist on it for a couple of months and, and kind of move work around. So it's made us a bit more responsive by having that additional resource beyond typical kind of academic time. And I think that the way that we're able to, to do that beyond the resource as well is that, you know, as a as a centre, we are quite effective at um, making it clear what's a priority. So we have weekly meetings, we have quarterly meetings. There is a research management process um, that I help to facilitate. And we also have a partnerships development manager. So we have kind of a lot of resource in terms of identifying, OK, we need to seize on this opportunity. Who in our team can do it? OK, that's great. But then also, when are we going to check in on this? How are we going to measure the, the success? There's lots of opportunities to do that. Um, so, yeah, I guess those are the, I guess, not necessarily the priorities, but those are the things that have ended up really kind of typifying, I think, how how CDRC can work. Lovely. Mark, can I get your view on that as well? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the big things that immediately struck me about this is, yeah, I, I, I don't think, we tend to think of it at all as, as a design and build kind of process. And, you know, I was thinking you're kind of the key thing is, thinking about the way that the management of, of the CDRC works, 
I mean, it, it's interesting because we have a, there's like a sister institute, which is run out of UCL, and they have this senior management team. And from time to time, you get these kind of formal communications about, you know, the senior management team would, you know, would, would like to enter into a negotiation about this year's, you know, user meeting or something. Um, so you know, the way that we largely operate within CDRC is that we have a roundtable meeting every Wednesday. Um, and so as long as we can make it, you know, kind of the co-directors are there and, um, and most of the, the, the seniors. About, but I think I'm sure we would agree. It's not, it's not everybody in the group because it's a very large, mm. um, it's a very large centre. But, you know, there are a large number of being maybe 15 people around the table, a combination of, of academics and um, and and the, the key you know, kind of managers, research managers and things. Um, you know, we just talk things through what we've been doing, um, you know, what's come up, what the opportunities are, what we need to do. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and I think it's just a fairly open process. You know, it's a great way to under, to make sure that everybody understands, you know, what's going on. And I think, yeah, as long as people kind of, yeah, that, that gives them a clear picture, I think, of what's going on everywhere. We all have a good understanding, I hope, of what the ambitions of, um, you know, what our ambitions are as as a group. So who's doing what, what we need to be doing. And, yeah, so it's not like we sit down and think, oh, crumbs, how can we, you know, what steps do we need to take to establish a really excellent culture here? Um, you know, I think it, I'm not saying this is the only way that you do it, but I think it would be our experience that it's, you know, that it's kind of grown organically. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was that was one thought. I, I mean, I, maybe I could say 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 two other things. I, I wrote down um, this is this is where I where I I, I, um, I wrote down ten things. And I thought, well, I'm in danger of writing one of these self help manuals that you uh, uh, that I always want to burn when I see them in train stations and that kind of thing. I don't really want that, but. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what it is. So, I mean, um, Emily mentioned the, the data science development program that was on my list as well. But, you know, one of the things about a data science development program is that it's been coordinated for about the last five years by someone who is ab absolutely fantastic. And if I were to take, you know, certainly when we recruited her, um, you know, she would not have been on the top half of the kind of the pay scales, you know, of, of you know, the management structure in terms mm -hmm. of seniority. But she totally made made this data science development program her own, um, you know. So so she really takes you know ownership for it, looks after the you know the, the young data scientists who are who are on that program, you know, has the relationships with uh, people who are actually sponsoring uh, the projects, um, yeah, and and the supervisors, the academics, and all that kind of thing, and and just done an absolutely fantastic job. And you know one of my yeah, one of my every, every this I say this 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 sounds like a terrible question. Maybe maybe I should this should be the title of my book actually. You know, but um, <laughs> yeah, I think every, everyone's a leader in a in a in a in a team that functions well. Mm. Um, yeah, and you don't have to look to me or to Ed Manley or to Nick Lomax or even if you know you want to do impact, then Emily Ennis will help you out. But we don't have to put Emily in charge of a project that's delivering impact and. Yeah, I mean, and again, it, it sounds like a bit of a cliche. It's, it's, I've been asking myself a couple of uh, you know, kind of job interviews. But you know, like about sort of leadership and management. It's not about it's not about managing people. It really is about you know, I think trying to trying to em, em, empower them as, as 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 leaders and to take your know, kind of control and and responsibility and pride and and, and everything in 
the work that they do. But then again, and again, just going back to where I started, you know, that fact that you can all sit round a table together, whether you're having, you know, Christmas dinner or a weekly meeting or or what have you, and everybody's, you know, success in that group means something to to everybody. And then, you know, we kind of feel that that automatically, I think, leads on to an element of of feeling other people's pain if they're if they're struggling or or whatever. But again, you know, if you get that right, then people will actually. Yeah, you know, they want to help one another out to to get over those you know kind of bumps in the road and and and, and things as well. Um, so yeah, I mentioned to you in early correspondence. I, I I think it's quite a um a, a a bottom up kind of process. Well, it's certainly successful. So I wanted to in the next question kind of like maybe maybe feel make you feel slightly uncomfortable in in terms of I'm going to ask you to in terms of specifically what your input in, into that success is, you know, what, how are you enabling that kind of almost bottom up? How are you allowing that to happen? What, how are you cultivating it? So Mark, I'll come to you first as, as people would normally expect it to culture to be driven top down. I, I think it helps if you're kind of successful and good at what you do. And um, I mean, I'm always, um, I'm, I, and I did in my notes. I mean, there's always going to be a footballing analogy in there somewhere, and uh, or a sporting analogy. Um, and I, I mean, I'm not actually quite sure where this one leads you. I mean, I, I thought about kind of a captain of a football team, and that is an interesting one because, you know, I mean, I, I think a captain of a football team, you know, quite often is the best player. Um, or certainly someone whose name is close to being first on the team sheet, kind of thing. I mean, but yeah, has other kind of qualities as well. Um, and then you get into all sorts of issues about, um, you know, Bobby Moore was the captain of the 1966 team kind of thing, and he didn't score all the goals because he was sent a half and all of that. So, you know, there is an element of, you know, that you need to be able to recognise and com- combine different, you know, skills and expertise. And that, you know, that's really important because, you know, for example, Emily knows far more about impact and how you achieve it than, uh, than, than I ever would. But on the other hand, I wouldn't regard myself as being completely ignorant and I'd, and I'd like to think that again if we go back to those you know kind of bumps in the road or what have you and Emily had a challenge that um, you know she needed a bit of help with or advice on that she'd be able to talk to me you know kind of intelligently about that um, I'm, I'm wondering where this spiel is actually taking me at the uh, <laughs> at the end of the day um, yeah, so, you know I, I think you know so that, that kind of leadership by example I've always regarded as yeah. As, as something that's that's really important again you know perhaps in a leader rather than a manager i think sometimes people in a managerial mindset can think oh, we've got all these things to do you know how can i kind of pass them out and and deliver them and yeah i honestly think that i'd like to think that my mindset is okay all these things need to be done you know what can i contribute to that you know and how can i find the best people to kind of help me and to you know build it uh, build it together kind of thing Having a good strategy is important, but again, I think it's one of those things where you know you, you you don't necessarily sit down and design it, or you can't you know and you can't kind of do it by numbers. It doesn't matter how long you mm. you know you sit people in a room and try to think about what it what it might be. You know, I think we're quite fortunate in the sense that well, I, I hope you and the listeners will have got it, but you know I feel that I can describe what CDRC in particular is trying to do. You know, in a couple of minutes and people will understand it um and so you know if you can be clear about the kind of what what your what your strategy is and, and i guess what your values are but again that i think people just get that by the mm. fact of you know do do your 
have cups of coffee together. Um, you know, occasionally go out for yeah meals or this, that, and the other. Um, yeah, that it that it will kind of come through. So I'll, I'll pause for breath there, and maybe uh, um, Emily can can have a go. Absolutely, Emily. So, what's your contribution? Let's be let's be refy about it. <laughs> uh, well, I think what Marcus said has has actually been a really useful thing for me to reflect on because I was also thinking. So, one of the things I really value about my role, and that was also quite a bit of a culture shift, moving from similar roles elsewhere in the university to the CDRC, is that there's a real recognition of expertise in the CDRC. So. You know, I am recognised as an impact professional. The partnerships development manager is recognised as someone who can, you know, foster, build and develop partnerships. And, you know, we've got senior ops uh, coordinator. That That's her area of expertise. And, and maybe that's because there's only one of us in each of these roles. And, and so we really do have to kind of embody that role and, and, and represent that kind of work to the CDRC but I also think as Mark has, has kind of said we're also kind of empowered to do those things um, by you know the recognition that we receive for the work that we do but also from you know the fact that our kind of weekly discussions are round table kind of fairly equitable kind of discussion my work is just as important as a co-investigator work a co-investigator's work or a co-director's work that is like it's you know it's entirely level playing field and you know like I say part of that is recognition of expertise but also part of that is um you know empowerment and allowing us to 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 lead on on things and say oh I think this is a priority I think this is something that we should do we're going to do it um and and you know those things tend to be successful because um you get buy-in by virtue of being kind of excited about something and feeling like it's something that you can take forward and and lead so you know, I think when I was thinking about, you know, what, why do, why do I feel like I'm successful in the work that I do? And part of me was thinking, well, you know, it is beneficial that I have a PhD. It is beneficial that I've, I've been a researcher and and that I know how this works. But I also think what is really important about my role is that everyone, everyone buys into what I do. And the reason why they do that is because everyone like there's a culture of like recognition that I'm the person to do that, that I am the impact person. And and as Mark said, I'm not the only, you know, I'm not the only person responsible if, you know, people are perfectly capable of leading their own impact projects. But, you know, I am recognized as as delivering that bit of expertise, just as, you know, everyone else in in, in the centre has their own area of expertise. So I think that that is it is my it is my contribution. I, I have kind of I think helped CDRC realise its impact or at least reflect on it. But I think I don't think I would have been able to do that without the culture that already existed here or that was growing here before I got here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was going to ask you a really un, unfair question and actually get you to rate Mark on an impact scale, but I won't. <laughs> I won't do that. <laughs> um, Jed, could I? Um... Can I sure. have a couple of wild cards then, and maybe uh, you, you you can decide later whether you want to include these. Sure, the, go ahead. But a couple. Of, so, so from my uh, from my as yet unwritten coffee table book, but quickly uh, taking shape in my uh, in my mind. And uh, you know, the first one is, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've always worked reasonably hard, but I also try to have fun at uh, at, at work. And um, I, I was just reflecting back and thinking, what I was saying earlier about team team building and things and. So when I was 
uh, a much less experienced person than I am now. Um, we used to take people on, on these sort of team building weekends. So I used to run a university company and uh, uh, we used to do that kind of thing. And I, I remember one time uh, we were in the in the Peak District and we were doing exercise, you know, one of these things where you have to put rafts together out of barrels and ropes and all that kind of stuff. And um, and there were a couple of teams and uh, and, and my team, I thought we did, we did really well and uh, we managed to get across the... Uh, across the lake to the middle and all that. And, and anyway, at the end of the afternoon, um, it somehow turned out that just one member of our team ended up on a collapsing raft that the others had, uh, had, had somehow engineered. And, um, and what I didn't say is that I also had a, a, a reputation for being slightly too enthusiastic on occasion on these uh, on these things. But I've, I've always remembered, I, and, and I've always taken great satisfaction in the fact that uh, uh, the members of my team felt able to uh, dip me in the water as a gentle uh, <laughs> means of pointing out to me that perhaps I get a bit too excited sometimes when the uh, uh, when the, when the heat is on. Um, and and the other one, I think, I mean, I mean, I I, I couch it as be lucky, but perhaps uh, I, I recognise that uh, you know the importance of of good fortune from time to time. You know, one of the things that really irritates me. You know, if you're asking Alan Sugar these questions, you know, um, sorry, or, or someone, someone like that, I suppose they'd be diplomatic. <laughs> you know, they'd probably telling you about, you know, how hard they worked and, uh, you know, harder than everybody else. And, you know, they started younger and they were clever and this, that, and the other. And sometimes the truth is that the people who are very successful just were just a bit luckier at the uh, important time than, you know, thousands of other people who, who might equally, you know, with the right... Uh, with the right opportunity at the right moment have been have been there and again you know, just come back to those you know, again if you're thinking about successes within your organization you know some sometimes we're um successful because we did great things and obviously if you do good things then it helps but some, sometimes you're unsuccessful because you know it's it's just not your not your turn it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing you know you're doing anything wrong um, and yeah, I think taking a rounded view of all these of all these kind of questions is, is helpful for you. I, I'm just interested in terms of where where you go next with uh, with the kind of topics around research culture and impact. So any any thoughts on future plans in terms of how you how do you develop on on the success you've had already, Emily? I mean, I I, I can I can jump in. I mean, so the, I guess the immediate aftermath but that makes it sound like a negative thing but you know having won these research culture awards and also engaged for impact awards we received a little kind of uh financial boost a little a little kind of prize money part um that obviously helps us gives you know helps give us um resources something immediately um you know to within the next kind of year to think about what we do and so um you know one of the research culture awards we won was for um kind of openness open and open research and impact essentially um and so we wanted to think about you know the cdrc was set up to make these data accessible so to to suddenly you know like like mark said you can't just walk into tesco and ask for it you know it 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 had we we're a platform and we're facilitating new research and we thought well you know how do we how do we want to continue to do that and and then also in the back of our minds, acknowledging that through our data scientist development program, we've done things like positive action recruitment and that we're continuing to do positive action recruitment. So, you know, recruiting more BAME data scientists and also women data scientists. So that's also about making 
data open and, and accessible. So with the with the money that we received for that research culture award, we actually created an open data uh, science bursary, um, which allows uh, people with protected characteristics and people from low income households to do the uh, short courses that the CDRC runs in data science. Uh, different kind of data science skills and to do and to do that with the help of the bursary with the kind of aim of making data science more equitable um we know as a as a research center that both data and data scientists have a bias uh, and one of the ways to kind of limit that bias is to have a more representative data science workforce but also more representative data science and you can only get more representative data science with more representative data scientists um, so we're kind of that's that's been a step forward for us, both in terms of thinking about how we use our platform as making consumer data more accessible, but also, you know, to kind of target some of our, I guess, EDI um, objectives as well. Um, so that's a kind of immediate step that we've taken. Um, we've also, with this success, kind of um, given ourselves an opportunity and a, and, a, and a chance to reflect on where we are and what we want to be. So. Um, we're also currently working through a vision statement exercise. So we've got working groups um, for different kind of vision statement topics within the CDRC. So data ethics, data governance, partnership working, um, values, things like that, that will kind of give us opportunity to reflect on what we already do well and also what, what our kind of aspirations are for kind of forward thinking and, and, and future research and I guess the thing to bear in mind in all of this is that because the CDRC is is funded by the ESRC we're only funded up until a certain point in time and we're having to kind of make plans um, and strategies and kind of to anticipate things like impact beyond you know the known kind of frontier so we're having to kind of um, you know it's it's not always blue sky thinking you know I think we're we're really um, confident in, in what we do and the value of what we do, but we, we also have to kind of think about, um, yeah, that, you know, at the moment we're funded up until 2024 and what can we do in that time to really make an impact? Um, so, you know, one thing that we are doing from a practical perspective is is kind of focusing a lot more, from my mind, on kind of impact with with, with policymakers. And I think we've we've done quite a lot of that in the last year but also developing a lot of data products from our from our data. And, you know, one of the things that's good about that is that it continues to exist online. It's it's not a moment in time necessarily. It is, a, it is something that continues to, you know, grow new research and to develop new research. So, you know, I can't imagine a situation in which the CDRC doesn't continue. But equally, if if it didn't, there's our legacy there. For us already in the in those data products and those tools that people can use to do new research and equally the data that we have on the data store can be used to do new research so our legacy and our sustainability certainly goes beyond whatever fixed point in time might be the funding cutoff yeah mark anything you wanted to add to that in terms of where you hope leader and cdrc go with research culture and research impact well, I don't know about I don't know about rating me. I think Emmy should be doing my job because I'm sure I could. Uh, um, uh, 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 I've got a lot to to um, 
to what you just said, which is great. I mean, I, I, I suppose, you know, one thing I think I'm, yeah, it, it is really important if you can to continue on that path of, of, of sort of success and growth. And I, I mean, I, yeah, as, as Amy said, you've got to be realistic. You know, we don't have, you know, kind of long term guaranteed funding for our future. But, you know, on the other hand, I think we are quite fortunate in the sense that we're working in, you know, a very dynamic area, you know, and, and everything I said and could have said more about, you know, kind of data science and AI and, and all those sorts of things. But, you know, I, I, I do believe, you know, I think that, that, that we believe that, you know, we have an important specific mission and it is part of a much bigger, you know, kind of social, social um, and, you know, kind of national agenda. Um, so, yeah, and it is important to continue to be ambitious. And again, if you, if you can, to continue to kind of prosper and grow and again, partly because that, you know, that just allows everybody to, 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 to grow as a group, you know, and to create new opportunities for people to, to move into and all that sort of thing. And I think, you know, we've been quite lucky in that regard and hopefully will continue to be in terms of the funding that, that, we can receive and our ambition and i think maybe the hard challenge comes if you if it starts to slow down you need to try to create that mm. create that thinking without you know necessarily um you know doubling in size every every couple of years um kind of thing so yeah i think but but then again I, yeah everything else that emily said i mean I, I just think for me is an endorsement of a lot of things that we talked about because to be frank there's some things in there that either i don't know or yeah, I don't really understand how they came about. They just happened while I was, uh, uh, you know, kind of partly uh, paying attention. And yeah, but the other thing I think is that, you know, we, that I think we're quite fortunate is that our sort of agenda, um, it, it, it is something that you can really get enthusiastic about. You know, we need to try to engage the public in the kind of conversations that we are having because that's the only way that you can take forward these kind of conversations you know are you happy for your club card data to be used mm. for people to understand other people to understand how they might be at risk of heart disease or something um yeah and yeah the impact agenda is 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 really important to us because you know we can't do what we do without engaging with those sort of third party organizations mm. um and yeah again as as Andy said you know there's a really strong um imperative or incentive for us to be doing you know the, the the right sorts of things if i could put it so crudely in relation to you know kind of widening participation and you know a more a more balanced approach to to who's involved in you know in in, in data and data science so you know it, it's both from that point of view of, of, of kind of the the, the 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 growth agenda but the hearts and minds kind of thing it's it's a really great area to be to be to be working in and um, Emily, Mark, thank you for joining us today and, and lifting the lid on on how leader and CDRC formulate their research culture and, and deliver their research impact from a really, what sounds like a really um, family basis, almost in terms of, a, terms of a cultural perspective, if I can put it that way. So thank you much for sharing your thoughts today. Yeah, well, from my point of view, I'd just like to say thanks for uh, you know, giving us the opportunity to talk about uh, you know things that that we do every day and that we're really interested in. But uh, yeah, really, really nice to have the chance to share that with yourself, Jed, and with the listeners. And I hope they find uh, uh, something of, of uh, interest or entertainment in there. That's great. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, thank you, Jed. 
Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.